0: Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me and I hope you love it here. Hello, welcome back. Now we are going to pick right back up where we left off in the previous episode about Kate's birth story. But before we do, I just really quickly wanted to say that I've had some really lovely feedback after that episode. Quite a few of you actually took the time to reach out and message me to let me know how much you enjoyed listening to Kate's story, which was just so lovely to hear. So thank you mostly to Kate and also thank you to everybody who did reach out. Kate is just such a good storyteller and I think it's just so incredible incredibly valuable hearing from women who were in similar situations to you to help you make sense of what you're going through, be able to relate to other people and Have a bit of a sense of what might be coming up for you and learn from their experiences. So, I also just wanted to say that the best way that you can support this podcast to help reach more people who might benefit from hearing things like this is to subscribe or leave a rating or leave a review or share it to somebody else. That's really the best way that the podcast gets, I suppose, um, exposed to or other people get exposed to the podcast. And yeah, I just thought keep that in mind so we can reach more people with just diabetes who might enjoy these kinds of stories too. Now, the other thing that I just wanted to quickly mention is that in part of this conversation, Kate talks about her experience working with me. And so I just want to clarify that I'm no longer offering the group program that she refers to. I've actually adapted this to be a fully one-on-one coaching service now. So it's much more personalized and tailored to you. And as you'll hear, even aside from learning about food and what to eat and getting help with her numbers and things like that, she just really found that getting support was such a valuable. Valuable thing in enabling her to stay in a more positive headspace and, you know, and then that lends itself to being able to connect more with people in her life and just reduce the mental load and negative spiral that GD can induce for some people. So, yeah, I just wanted to give you a heads up about that. And if you do like the sound of getting that type of support, then you can absolutely reach out to me. The best thing is probably to send me a DM on Instagram at Um And if you want to learn more about what I do offer, we can have a chat on there. But anyway, on to the episode. So, we've already heard about Kate's first pregnancy and birth, including her emotional struggle with the diagnosis of gestational diabetes, the model of care that she went through in the public system, and her fairly dramatic first birth. So, in this part of the conversation, Kate details her second pregnancy and birth experience, including the difference in her mindset about GD this time around, the value of seeking support from a dietitian, which was me, and all the details of how her second birth played out as well as her best advice for somebody else going through GD at the moment. So I hope that you love it. And without any further chit chat from me, let's get into it. So let's talk about your second pregnancy and birth. So how long was it before you conceived your next child?
1: So I remember after having Harry, I just thought, my goodness, I don't know how people have more than one baby. I don't think I'll be ready to have another one for such a long time, maybe until he's three. And then your mindset your mindset just changes. Well, this is what happened to me. And I think we got to about 18 months and that's when things start to get a lot easier. You're in a rhythm with your then-toddler Maybe you're going out a little bit more. You're able to go out for dinner. You're able to do uh, more things with your husband. I know we're so lucky Harry would sleep at my parents' house. So Mm. we started to get into uh, a rhythm of finding that life was a lot easier. And I thought, you know, what would make this even better? Let's have another baby. And so I was lucky we were both on board with wanting to have another baby. And as soon as you decide that you do want a baby, you can't, you just want to be pregnant Right then. You you can't get pregnant soon enough. And again, we were so lucky to be able to fall pregnant quite easily. I was tracking my ovulation again, and my period had come back uh, at about six months with Harry. Mm -hmm. So I was having normal, regular cycles again. And I did have it in my head that there's no way I'd get gestational diabetes again, because I thought I was a bit silly. And I was thinking, you know, maybe it was a misdiagnosis last time because my fasting levels had never really uh, gone higher than a 5.0. And I was doing like really, really well with my after meal numbers as well. And I thought maybe it was a misdiagnosis and I never really had it at all. Um, I definitely did have it. And I just thought I was, I just had such a great pregnancy with Harry and I did have a good pregnancy with my second one as well, but I just thought know let's do it again and we'll see how it goes. And so we were really lucky to fall pregnant in the first couple of months again with another little baby.
0: Amazing. And what was it like when you found out?
1: Again, I was so shocked and I spent so much money on pregnancy tests again. (laughs) And uh, I was it was a bit funny because this one I I got my I was due for my period and then it didn't come and I thought okay so I'll do a test. And it was negative and then it kept being negative. And I kept saying to Ben, you know, I, I mustn't be pregnant because I'm just not getting a positive test. And so I actually didn't get one till a week and a half after my uh, period was due. So it was a little bit of a, a bit different to last time.
0: Interesting. Interesting. You must have been thrilled though. It's so exciting. I was. It was yeah. so
1: exciting. And then as soon as you're pregnant, you plan on how you're going to tell everybody and
0: yeah.
1: what what things you might have planned. So it was very, very exciting.
0: And are we still in lockdown at that point? So I guess No, so CEO.
1: I had gone back to work. I was working three days a week and I found out that I was pregnant in April of 2021.
0: Beautiful. Okay. Um, And then how was that pregnancy? So in the first one, you were pretty lucky, symptom free, essentially, apart from that rib pain. But especially in your first trimester, did you experience anything like the nausea or the morning sickness slash all day sickness? What was going on for you?
1: Sorry, I will say it was April 2022. Uh, I actually got quite sick in the first trimester of this pregnancy. And everyone was saying to me, you know, it must be a girl this time because you weren't sick last time and you're having a different pregnancy. And I just remember I would wake up in the mornings and feel so hungover despite not having, obviously <laughs> having anything to drink, and I just needed to eat. As soon as I opened my eyes, I had to have some crackers next to the bed, and I would as soon as I'd eat something, I'd feel so much better. Uh, that started to, the, the nausea started to go away, I was very lucky, at about 10 weeks.
0: Yeah, that's nice. So that if that didn't resurface again. Um, and then did you have any other negative symptoms that impacted you? Uh,
1: yes, I had the most horrific reflux for the entire mm-hmm. pregnancy. And I thought, oh my goodness, this baby is going to have so much hair. And the baby came out with absolutely no hair and, and still has no hair three months in. So, I think, so many myths. <laughs> yeah. So a bit of a myth for me, um, but obviously we'll get into it. But I found this pregnancy, so much harder mentally. I found the first pregnancy quite hard physically because of the rib pain, but this pregnancy was just a lot harder mentally.
0: And what was the main reason for that?
1: So I, because I'd had gestational diabetes before I wanted to get, what well, I was told to get tested again quite early. And so I think I got tested at about 18 weeks this time. Yeah. And I really, I had been test. I still had my um, glucometer. glucometer at home. So I was testing myself and uh, my levels seemed to be fine. And so I got my GTT done again and I really thought that everything would be okay. And I wasn't, I hadn't had a phone call and I thought, you know, I mm. think I'm in the clear here um, and I was at work again and I opened my emails and it was in an email this time. Mm. And it just had the date of when my education would be. And so I thought, oh, my goodness, they've got this wrong. I don't have it. Like, why have I got an education again? And so I called and they just said, oh, no, you do have it. Have you not had a phone call yet? And, again, I just burst into tears at work, went straight to my sister and I said, I've got it again. And she was kind of like, you've got this. You did so well last time. Like, you've absolutely got this. You will be fine.
0: And then you maybe weren't fine. You said you were feeling pretty rubbish about it, but it, it's, it's, it must be so hard mentally, like having that mind game of do you, don't you have it, like you said, in your first pregnancy as well, like having that really quite a long lag time between actually doing the test and then finding out because a lot can happen for you in a week or so, right? And then to then have to wait again before you actually see anybody around the education that's yeah, it must be really, really challenging, particularly if you're already feeling pretty um, bummed out about it because you know what it's going to be like again. So it's, it sounds like that you didn't feel overly prepared to have it again. So talk me through that.
1: Absolutely not. And I'm quite a positive person, but I just sort of spiraled as soon as I was diagnosed again. And I think it was mainly because in my first pregnancy, I was diagnosed at 28 weeks and I gave birth at 37 weeks, so I, I, I didn't have it for that long. But this time, I, I found out that I was diagnosed at 18 weeks, and I thought, my goodness, if I go to 40 weeks, that's a really, a really, really long time. And our lives had changed in terms of we could go out to restaurants again, and mm-hmm. um, it's I couldn't. Uh, do as much healthy cooking as I was able to do in my first pregnancy because I did have a toddler at home that was taking up a lot of my time and I was not working from home I was working at at my school as a teacher and I thought everything just seemed so overwhelming and so hard I just thought my goodness none of this is going to work I'm going to have to go on medication I don't know I don't know how I'm going to do this again I was very lucky to be in the midwife care program again and I was Under the care of a midwife, that I I did have to have an uncomplicated pregnancy to be within her team. And I was just so nervous to tell her, like, I was thinking, we've built up a relationship already. Am I going to let her down? And I just felt like the entire positive part of my pregnancy had now gone. And I know that looking back now, none of that is true. But when you're diagnosed and when you're in that mindset, you just feel. Like, like you're going to harm your baby you're not going to be able to the, have the birth that you want and I kind of just felt like giving up
0: oh you poor thing and then did you get any education around that because it sounds like it was pretty minimal in the first pregnancy and that was obviously impacted by COVID as well so in this pregnancy did you get to see a dietitian, diabetes educator like what what happened
1: so I had uh, my education again at the hospital, and they were really great. I, this time I was able to have a, a two-hour appointment, and they went through a lot of the food choices and and what to do if you do have to take medication. But I kind of felt like it, it's very much eat more of this and don't eat that, mm-hmm. and then you'll be fine. But it was sort of eat more of this protein and this protein, and I just thought I'm a vegetarian. What am I yeah. supposed to do? And I. Th- I just kept thinking like maybe if I wasn't vegetarian this would be so much easier, but I I really wanted to find ways that I would be able to keep this diet controlled again, but it looked like everything was just going to be too hard. Uh, Mm. Again, I probably went too hard into the diet for the first couple of weeks and I think after a week I got uh, a call with a nutritionist that worked from the hospital and I felt like I was doing such a good job at what I was eating and during my phone call with her I felt like everything was picked apart Mm -hmm. and again that just made me feel so low again I thought I'm trying to eat so so well and everything I'm doing is being picked apart and I'm sure that wasn't her intention but it's probably the headspace that I was in at the time as well and that's when I kind of thought what what am I supposed to do here I'm I'm eating so well and my numbers seem okay but she's telling me that maybe I should do more of this and less of this and I just thought that this is too hard. I don't know what to do but obviously you've got to keep going for your baby or else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that must have felt so isolating and it it must have also been difficult if it was a phone call so you weren't actually even face-to-face because a lot can get lost in that method of communication, I guess, as well. So, yeah, that's, I mean, I'm so sorry that you were feeling like that. That's so difficult. Um, And what did you do next? What were your next steps?
1: So, this time I was able to find a lot more help via Instagram and Facebook. So, there was a Facebook community that I was part of and I also followed, you'll be able to remember her name a lot better than me, but is it Robin.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think she's, Oh, I can't remember her Instagram handle off the top of my head. I think it's just gestational diabetes dietitian, but yeah, Robin Compton. She's, she's incredible person. Yeah.
1: Yes. And, um, once her name came up, then I saw, I saw your name and I followed a couple of other people and I just thought I need something that I can, Chat to someone about, and I've really wanted to get a private nutritionist this time. And the nutritionist on the phone had actually suggested that, and so um, that's when I had contacted yourself. And you were about to start your Better Blood Sugar program.
0: Yes, yes, and yes. And so yes.
1: I think I joined that at about I was just about twenty-one weeks, so I'd been yeah. diagnosed for about three weeks, and my fasting numbers were starting to creep up at that stage. And so I think I'd had like a couple of 5.3s, which was just mm-hmm. so shocking to me because in my first pregnancy, unless I had uh, had maybe uh, a meal the night before with less protein or I had had something where I knew I was going to get a high fast and that could explain it, I hadn't had a high fast mm-hmm. or any real numbers over maybe 5.8 or 6.0. So these numbers were starting to creep up like quite quickly.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. And that's a difficult mind space to be in too. But yeah, it was so lovely. I remember meeting you. I was running a different type of program at that time, just for everybody listening. So I was running a group program and I met Kate. Kate joined the program, which was amazing. And so we had a really lovely small group where we could just navigate things together. And I suppose you can talk about that experience a little bit more rather than me. So how did you find working together in that way?
1: I just felt like everything was so helpful for my mindset because that was the thing that probably needed to change the most. My diet was I was pretty good, but I was just feeling so low and really feeling like I wasn't going to be able to do this. And I just thought well, I might as well just go on insulin and and see how we go from there but I got into the program with with yourself and a couple of others and we started chatting about food and we started chatting about uh how we were feeling and just to be able to talk to like-minded people mm-hmm. helped so much and I just found it so interesting that I would talk to you and and say you know this is what I ate last night but I didn't get a good number and I thought that this was protein and it was just like most of the things I had in my head that were protein were not protein. And I remember we had had conversations about um, vegetarian diets and going to restaurants and they would substitute things like uh, fish or or meat for, for jackfruit or for eggplant. And I would think, oh, that must be a protein then. And most of the stuff that I was eating just was not protein. And I think that was probably where I was going a little bit wrong with my diet.
0: Yeah, I remember that I remember that conversation really clearly and I remember looking through some of your um food and blood sugar logs and it was it was really helpful being able for me as well like being able to see what you were doing on paper and then we could just make some small tweaks and a lot of it revolved around increasing the protein that you were eating and just really little tweaks to your meals to keep your blood sugar nice and stable and so I guess I already know a little bit about this part of the story around that then you were really um, successful, you were really fortunate in having really beautifully controlled blood sugar levels because you were doing an incredible job of eating really well at that point and still staying active and all of those things I remember. But tell me in your words, like, did you need to go on medication? That was a big fear. So, what happened? I was probably more
1: scared about going on medication this time than I was last time probably because it was, I had it in my head that it was going to happen more because of my numbers were slowly creeping up. But I was lucky enough to stay diet controlled for this pregnancy again. Uh, I had, a, I think it was around 28 to 30 weeks where my numbers were creeping up that little bit more and we had that chat about it being that period of time is probably the hardest, around 28 to 32 weeks where your body starts... I think it was not being
0: able to cope. Yeah, you get uh, some more hormones circulating from the placenta. So it gets, it tends to get quite difficult for a lot of people towards the end of pregnancy. And the window of time changes, you know, it's very individual, but it seems to be around like that 28 to 32 week kind of mark can be really, really challenging for a lot of people. So yeah, that was really, um, apparent for you that we could see Mm. your blood sugar starting to trend upwards at that time?
1: Yeah, especially that fasting number. And I think for so many nights, I would go to bed and just think what's going to happen in the morning. I would just have such anxiety about that fasting number, which I know so many people do. And I feel like even with type 1 diabetes, there's no Rhyme or rhythm with it. You can do one thing one day and it will be perfect the next day. And then you will try again and your numbers will be totally different. And I just think, what is going on? Like, how can I try and sort this out? But it's just trial and error. And I remember wanting to keep my numbers, um, I think under 6.0. And you were saying, like, your numbers are supposed to rise and fall. Like, that is fine. And that would definitely be advice that I would want to give someone else. Like, your numbers are allowed to go up and down. That's okay. And so once we got over that 32 week mark and I could I d- I could see that what I was doing was working my mindset was really positive not every day obviously but I was able to think you know I think that I've got this and and things will be okay
0: amazing and it yeah it just makes such a difference as well when you are thinking a bit positively and you've got some more tools in your tool belt and people on your team I suppose but then it, I know from working with you that you did stay diet controlled. So you stayed off the medication in the end, which was amazing because then, like, you know, the primary reason for that for you was to stay within that midwife led care. So going into this birth, did you have a game plan again? Were you hoping for a similar, very rapid birth or were you hoping for something different? Like what were the conversations like with your team?
1: So. Again, I had really, really incredible midwives. I didn't have the the same midwife that I had last time, but I did have really, really beautiful midwives again. And I was h- sort of hoping for the mid one one of the midwives that I was my primary midwife. I was really hoping that she would be at the birth. We were just on the same page with everything. And she was just so supportive of everything that I wanted and everything that I was going through. And she sat down to me one day and and said, Kate, even if you do go on medication, I'm going to keep you in the program. Like Everything will be okay. I want you to stop stressing about that. And I just felt such a weight lifted off my shoulders when she did say that. And one of the things that everybody was saying to me was, if your first birth is quick, your second one will be quicker. Mm. And I was so nervous about obviously having a toddler at home. If it was going to be quick, what was I going to do? And so I had my mum on speed dial. Thank goodness she lives pretty close by, but I had her on speed dial and I just kept saying, you need to answer your phone every time I ring you. (laughs) And because I'd gone so early with Harry, I expected to go early again and so it got to 37 weeks and I was still pregnant. It got to 38 weeks I was still pregnant, got to 39 weeks. And I felt totally overdue by this Mm. stage because I was thinking that I was going to go early. And so... I was just so over it by the end. But I, even though I'd had such a positive birth, I was more nervous this time, probably knowing what was to come. And, again, I'd listened to all the Australian Birth Story podcasts and I knew that there was options for everything. And if I had to get induced, I could probably still have the birth that I wanted. But I was lucky that my midwife did say that they would let me go to close to 42 weeks. If uh, I hadn't given birth, then then we would start talking about induction. But it got to the uh, 15th of December and I really thought I was going to be having a baby closer to Christmas and I was hoping to go a little bit earlier. Uh, So on the the day of the 15th of December, we went for a bit of a family walk with the dog at about 6.30pm and it was beautiful weather. We're in the middle of summer and we got home and I had absolutely no signs that anything was coming. I started to cook dinner and it got to about 7.30 and I was getting a little bit of, of slight pain but nothing nothing too bad. And I just said to my husband, oh, he was outside doing some work in the garden, I said maybe come in. And because of the experience that he had had with me in the car last time, whenever I had a little niggle, he would start to freak out. And I would say, no, 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 I don't think it's anything, don't stress, but maybe I'll just go and have a shower, I'll see how I feel. So he put Harry to bed. And then I got in the shower and I started getting a little bit more pain, but nothing too bad. And I got out and I thought, I'll call my mum. And I just said, Mum, I, something might be happening, but I'm not sure. And she said to me, I've just taken a nighttime Codril tablet um, because oh. I think I'm getting sick. And I, I said to her, she's like, I don't know if I can drive. And I said, Don't worry, I don't think it's anything, but we'll see. I'll call you back in half an hour. And then Things started to get a little bit worse, but honestly, it was still maybe a two out of ten. It was nothing bad. Mm -hmm. And so I called her back and poor Ben just said, no, please come over. I'm just scared that something's going to happen. Please come over. And so she came over. She got to our house at probably about 9.30 and I'd put the TENS machine on my back and I was starting to get some contractions then. And when she walked in, she said, Kate, you're in (laughs) labour. And I I, I was yet to believe it. I just couldn't believe that it was happening. And I said, I really don't think I am like... I'm so nervous and Ben said I'm just going to call the midwife in case so so he called and she said Kate will know when to come in and I was thinking in my head oh I've got no idea when to go in like I I feel like I've never given birth before I I, I feel not too bad and so we gave it about another half an hour and and Ben called again and he was like no we're coming in like I think we need to come into the hospital like, I don't want to have that car trip again mm-hmm. and I was thinking oh my goodness you're overreacting but We'll just go to the hospital and I'll get checked out, but I know they're going to send us home. And so we got into the car and no spiders this time. But Thank God, uh, yes, got into the car <laughs> and the contractions started to ramp up a little bit, but I, they were really not too bad. And so I would just turn the radio down when I was having one and then, and then turn it back up. And we drove to the hospital. We got there. It was about 11 o'clock at this stage, 11 p.m., and mm. When I got there, they I could walk. I didn't have to get the wheelchair. They said, oh, we'll take you to go and get assessed. And they said, do you mind if we do a vaginal examination? And I said, yeah, of course, but I haven't had one before, um, so I'm not really sure what to expect. And so she said, you know, if you're under five centimetres, we will keep you here and we will try and see if you can dilate a little bit more. And if you're over five centimetres, you can go to the birthing suite. And she checked and I was six centimetres. So. Wow. I was so, so happy that I had gotten to that stage feeling relatively comfortable and from there my midwife had arrived and she said, we'll go to the room and I was really lucky this time that I was hoping to have a water birth. and when we were starting to walk to the room, Ben had said, do you want me to get her a wheelchair? And my midwife said, no, I'd like her to walk. And so it was probably only a 100-metre walk and that's when things really started to... Get a lot more intense yeah. and I feel like I probably went from 6 centimetres to 10 centimetres just in that walk and we got into the room and she said, I'm so sorry but the bath is way, way too hot for you to get in just yet but maybe um, put your hands over the bed and lean and, and see how you go and, and just let me know how you're feeling and that's when I was thinking in my head, oh, my goodness, what have I done? Why, why am I doing this again? I, you knew that this was... <laughs> how painful this was and you've done it again and so I had a couple of contractions on the the side of the bed and I just felt like they weren't progressing me that nothing was happening because my waters hadn't broken yet Mm. and I thought maybe I'll get into the bath and and see what happens and so I was having some contractions over the bed and I feel like I'm telling this story and I sound like everything was very calm. And in my head, everything was very calm and I felt so in control, but I was very loud and I was making a lot of noise. And I feel like I don't want people to think that I just breezed through and everything was was super easy because it is extremely, extremely painful, but I had a better mindset this time. I, I felt like I was more in control. And so I managed to get into the bath and my beautiful midwife had set up fairy lights everywhere and there was music playing and it was just such a lovely lovely uh feeling in the room uh but the the bath was so hot and I felt like I couldn't relax in there and another midwife came in she was the head mi- midwife on the ward that night and she said to me Kate the baby's heart rate is dipping when you have a mm-hmm. contraction um I think that you should get out of the bath and my midwife who was advocating for me really wanted me to stay in the bath and she was saying like maybe we can have another couple of contractions in there and the other midwife was just saying I'd prefer her to get out Mm -hmm. and so I I did end up getting out and got onto the bed and for Ben at this stage because I I had just gone into my own my own head and he was the one that had to listen to this heart rate was dropping and, and and the midwives getting a little bit concerned about it. And I had no idea that any of this was going on. Uh and so I was lying on my side on the bed and I had my legs closed. And they were saying to me, you know, you're gonna have to open your legs if you <laughs> if you want to get <laughs> And so I was really ready to push at this stage. And so I was pushing every time I was having a contraction. I just felt like I wasn't progressing, they weren't doing anything. And so I had said to them, please break my waters. I'd really like you to break my waters, which um, part of my birth plan was to, to have no intervention, and, and they did look at this as an intervention. Otherwise, they probably would have done it a little bit earlier. Uh, so my midwife broke my waters very easily. She said she just had to, like, swipe her finger across the membranes and they broke everywhere. And as soon as that happened, the baby's head just was out quite wow. quite easily. And they said, you know, you're only going to have to do a couple of pushes and then the baby will be here. And so I had to wait for the next contraction and I probably had about two or three pushes after that. And the once you feel those shoulders coming out, it's such a beautiful feeling mm-hmm. because you know that it's the end. And yeah. so uh, baby was out and was uh, put on my chest and luckily the heart rate again had uh, been fine. So everything ended up being okay. And I looked over at Ben and he had tears in his eyes because he was freaking out about this heart rate. And I was thinking, what's going on? I had no idea <laughs> that was happening. Um, so they put the baby on me and they said, check what it is, check what it is. But I, at this stage, just had no energy to lift the baby up. Right. And so I said to Ben, you lift it up. And so he lifted it up and he was like, yes, it's another boy.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and all I could think was, oh, my goodness, we have to name another boy because we had gone back <laughs> and forth so many names and had no idea what to call this baby again I thought I was having a girl and he was put on me and he started crying and it was just the most beautiful experience again to just know that I had done it and I remember saying to Ben pretty much straight after I was like I don't want to do that again and he was like you don't have to it's done
0: yeah yeah, you you did it you absolutely did it wow that's that's incredible how long were you pushing for that time
1: so all up the the labor was from that first initial pain at home was four hours. Right. So it was a lot it was another quick one. So I think I was pushing um once I got out of the bath, it was maybe 10 minutes.
0: Wow. I and mean the, really the people comment. were right then. They were saying, you yes, you have your second will be quick. <laughs> they wow. were they were
1: definitely right. And I was really lucky this time to not tear. And so I didn't have to have any stitches. And so I could just um, have the baby who we end up naming Oscar. I could just have Oscar uh, on me and not have to worry about, you know, being stitched up or or any other intervention that we'd have to have. I, I did um, have some trouble getting the placenta out this time because I had uh, asked to not have the the needle to help get the placenta out. But after the birth, I tried for maybe about 30 minutes to to get it out by walking around and going on the toilet and it just wouldn't come out. And so um, I got the needle in my leg and the placenta come out easily straight away. And I just felt such a huge relief once that was out.
0: Lovely. And I mean, not lovely, but you know, great. <laughs> yeah. I was actually quite interested to see what it
1: looked like because um When you've got GD, you're so everything is about the placenta and what's the placenta doing. And so I was asking them, you know, does it look healthy? And they were like, it looks great. So that was a good feeling too. (laughs)
0: It's a good sign. And then afterwards, again, did they check your blood sugar or did they check um, Oscar's blood sugar?
1: Yes, so checked mine and everything was fine. And then checked Oscar's and he was fine too. And I should mention that both times I did uh, collect some colostrum (laughs) with my first pregnancy. With Harry, I managed to get such a small, small amount and maybe that's what did put me into labour at 37 weeks, mm. but that—that um, that is an okay time to start collecting it. But with Oscar, I started collecting again at about 37 weeks and because I didn't give birth until 39 and a half weeks, I managed to get about um, 10 one-mil syringes, which was such a... I was so happy with that amount, uh, that, with that amount. and it turned out to really work in our favour because Oscar wouldn't uh, latch, breastfeed latch for the first couple of days, I think because he came out so quickly. He was full of uh, fluid and mucus and he couldn't um, latch properly. So we were lucky to be able to syringe feed him that colostrum for the first couple of days.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then were you able to breastfeed Oscar?
1: Yes. So he is now three months old. He's just hit 13 weeks and uh, we're still breastfeeding, and I've actually found um this time to be probably a little bit easier knowing what to expect. and mm-hmm. uh, I didn't I don't have that toe curling pain that I did have at the start, and so it's it's been so far so good.
0: amazing. And what how was Oscar when he came out? I know you said that Harry was around three kilos. so what about Oscar?
1: Uh, well, I was expecting because he came out uh, close to term that I was going to have this big four kilo baby and that's such a fear when you've got gestational Mm -hmm. diabetes that you're going to have these big babies and you won't be able to push them out and that they're just going to be off the charts and again he was exactly the same weight as Harry he was three kilos on the dot and he's such a small little baby now still he's just a gorgeous little boy but he definitely wasn't the size that I thought he was going to be so Mm -hmm. another tiny little one
0: Yeah, no, but that's, it's, it's so true that there's such a big fear and misconception that everyone with GD is going to have a really massive baby and that, you know, they're all going to be big chunkers. And like you said, you won't be able to push them out and all of that, but it's just, it's not always the case. And same around like inductions and things like that. There is a really big, I know it's a lot of the time it is pushed for women with gestational diabetes to have an induction, but it's not always the case. And you always have options, just communicate with your birth team and see what's right for you. It obviously depends on your management and how baby's tracking along and whether you're on medication or not. But please know that there are so many different experiences. And I'm so happy for you, Kate, that you had the intervention-free births that you really wanted. And that's such an amazing experience. And I should also mention to the listeners, I didn't know anything about Kate's birth stories before recording this. So I'm just as much enthralled in the story as everyone listening. And I yeah, can't believe it. What what an amazing experience for you.
1: So lucky to have two really positive births. And I know that I've had friends that have had C-sections and planned inductions, and they've both experienced really beautiful births. And if you are looking down uh, the lens of having an induction or a C-section, you can speak up and still have the kind of birth that you want with that. You know, you can still have a beautiful birth regardless of which way it's going to go.
0: Exactly. All births are amazing, like we we said, and we've got to keep that in mind, however the baby comes out. Um, And then afterwards, what was your recovery like? Or are you still recovering? How are you feeling?
1: (laughs) I felt this recovery actually went a lot easier than my first one. I thought that with Harry, I'd had an easy recovery, but uh, having no stitches this time, I could get up and and walk. And I felt relatively back to normal quite quickly. I know that's not everyone's experience and I feel really lucky that uh, that did happen. And so I feel like everything was fairly back to normal quite quickly, which is really, really lucky.
0: Good for you. Love that. And and how about now, I suppose, like has having had gestational diabetes continued to impact you around your lifestyle and your diet and things like that? Have you changed anything or continued anything? Um, Yeah, just talk me through where you're at at the moment.
1: Something I did want to mention is that I feel like because we restrict, not restrict our diets, but because our diet is um, everything is so planned when you do have GD, after I gave birth, especially for maybe the first four weeks, I just thought I'm going to eat anything and everything that I want. I want to have pasta and Nutella donuts and all of these things without having to think about what the numbers are going to be or the stress of what's going to happen in the morning. And I can't believe how quickly you do forget what it's like to have to eat every two hours and have to test two hours after your food and have that stress of what the number might be in the morning left. It just goes straight away as soon as you've given birth. And, um, after I had Harry, I did go and get the follow up, uh, yeah. testing done and I was in the clear. I have been a little bit slack with this post birth that I haven't gone to get it done just yet. And I know that I need to. So that's something that I need to do in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. But, um, I'm just trying to get back into that mind frame now of, Going, I felt so, so good eating the diet that I was eating when I was pregnant. And so I'm definitely trying to incorporate more proteins and uh, just go back to feeling that way that I did feel when I was pregnant because I have truly never felt better eating that way.
0: Oh, that's amazing. That's really cool to hear. And I think that that's, again, um, a common misconception that your gestational diabetes diet has to be really restrictive and horrible, but you can actually enjoy food and feel really good whilst you're going through GD and I, I, I recommend like making sure that you do have a diet that makes you feel good whilst you're going through GD. Because if you're not feeling good, then that's a sign that you are maybe. I don't want to say you're doing things wrong, but things could probably be optimized or improved to make sure that you do have a better experience. And another message that I want to get across is the fact that a gestational diabetes diet doesn't necessarily exist. Like the, the foods that we recommend that you have when you do have GD is essentially the same as having a healthy, well balanced diet. When, regardless of whether you're pregnant or not or have diabetes or not. Obviously, there's some more restrictions around there and you need to be a little bit stricter and you do have to monitor blood sugar and things like that, but the general principles are the same. Um, so that's, that's cool to hear. And have you had much support? Like have you felt well supported since having Oscar? I know you had your mum who was really helpful after Harry and, you know, now you've got a toddler. How are you going?
1: <laughs> they They say that it does take a village to raise yeah. a child and I could not be luckier for the village that I do have around. I've got such an incredible family and, and my husband's family is so incredible too and a beautiful mother's group that I've got from having Harry and I just think if you don't have the help and you are open to reaching out for it, definitely reach out because it's such a hard job to do by yourself. You you cannot do it by mm. yourself and if you do have some help out there please ask for it because you need it
0: so true and people are always happy to help like i suppose i can say from a person who's never been pregnant a non-pregnant woman's perspective i am so happy to help when my friends or my family have a baby like you never should feel bad about asking people for that support um now, I guess let's wrap things up. It's been so, so amazing to hear about your pregnancies and your births. Like, thank you so much for sharing. That's been so valuable. I know people will take so much out of hearing your stories and all of the messages that you have shared. And it's so generous of you to share like that and be so open and vulnerable to come on here. And I guess to finish up, I I just wanted to ask you, what what has helped you the most, I suppose, like, whether it be gestational diabetes or just through this whole process and what are the best tips that you would give other people going through it at the moment?
1: I think just know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that once you give birth you will everything will be okay but p- perhaps be selfish during this pregnancy and put yourself first and give your body the kind of foods that it needs and Start cooking, and there are so many options of being able to go out and eat healthily. If you start, you know, thinking about what you can do beforehand, everything will be okay. And once you get into that positive mindset, then you really can do really well with your pregnancy.
0: That's such good advice. That's, and it's, I think it's not actually the same advice that you would hear from other people who might have. You know, other tips around like specific dietary things and things like that. And, but I think that it's something we all overlook is around the mindset and how you're feeling and getting that under control. I suppose, as hard as that can be, but also reaching out for support can be an amazing thing to do. If you are somebody who's struggling with feeling like quite negative and isolated and just overwhelmed and not sure how you're going to make it through the rest of your pregnancy, then please know there are people out there, whether that be someone like myself, who can help with the diet side of things or whether that be a psychologist, like whatever you need or talking to your care team. Like there's so many people out there who want to support you and just want to see the best for you. So absolutely couldn't agree more that we've got to focus on that.
1: Join the Facebook groups and the Instagram groups and really find people that are going through the same thing because as much as your friends and your family can be so supportive, they don't know what's going on inside your head or how you're feeling. And it's so great to talk to like-minded people that are going through the same thing.
0: That's so true. I love that. Um, But we better finish up our chat. So thank you so, so much again for coming on. It's been such an amazing conversation and I feel like I could talk to you for hours. We could just keep going with this conversation, but we've got to stop somewhere. So we'll stop here. But thank you again. You've been a wealth of knowledge and such a pleasure to have on.
1: Thank you and good luck to anybody that is going through this. Like You can do it and in the future you'll be able to talk to other people and tell them how to do it and you'll become the expert. So good luck to everybody.
0: That is it for today's episode. I really hope that you loved that chat. I just loved recording it. So there will definitely be more like this to come. Um, And like I said at the beginning of this episode, please rate, review or share or subscribe to this podcast if you did like it. It's how we reach more people with gestational diabetes who might benefit from hearing this kind of conversation as well. And again, please get in touch if you would like to learn more about the services that I do offer for women with GD. I can definitely help support you to make your life easier. So if that sounds like something that you would like to know more about, the best thing is probably just to send me a DM on Instagram at nutrition.bye.helena. But that's enough from me. So have a great week and I will have another episode for you same time next week on Tuesday. So until then, bye. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, Head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.